Welcome, everybody, to the Rock Church Online for our Easter service. I am so glad that you are joining us. Whatever screen you're on right now, would you chat with us? Would you let us know? Would you hashtag the Rock Church Online? Get this. We have people from 28 different states that are tuning in, four different countries. Let us know online where you are coming from, and we would greatly appreciate that. Like us on Facebook. Thank you so much for following us as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ together. Even though we can't physically be together, we are celebrating together with other believers, billions of people all around the world. You know, I never would have guessed would have a pandemic on Easter. I so love it when we're together to worship our Savior. But when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. And so we're going to enjoy the presence of the Lord. Whatever screen you're on here today, we're going to enjoy Easter as we talk about being raised to life in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm getting a little bit tired of seeing guys in suits on screens giving us bad news day after day after day. What is it, like two million people now? are infected with the coronavirus. Literally, tens of thousands have died. There's fear. There's panic. There's quarantine going on. All these horrible things happening all throughout the world. Bad news, bad news, bad news. Financial chaos. Job losses. I think it's over 17 million Americans in just the last few weeks have lost their jobs. So much bad news. But guess what? Today, you're going to hear from a guy with a suit on (laughs) behind your screen giving you some very good news indeed. In fact, this is the best news you'll ever hear, and it's always good news. Because it doesn't come from man, it is a message to us from the Creator, from God Himself. It's called the gospel, and it is always Good news. We're going to take a look today at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This wonderful chapter, chapter 15 in 1 Corinthians, is really the singular chapter 
in the whole book of Corinthians that confronts simply a doctrinal issue. And the doctrine that's confronted is the doctrine of the resurrection, the teaching of the resurrection. All the other chapters in 1 Corinthians deal with really practical issues, although they do have doctrinal bases. And Paul gives us one of the greatest statements on the resurrection ever penned. And I want to read it to you here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 16 through the first part of 20. It says, For if the dead are not raised, if there's no meaning to Easter, if Christ has not been raised either, and if Christ has not been raised, get this, your faith is futile. This is useless. Religion, useless. Your Christianity, useless. Faith, useless if Christ is not raised. Why? Because you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. All the dead that have preceded us, lost. No hope if there's no such thing as the resurrection from the dead. And that's what the Corinthians were dealing with. This issue of resurrection. They didn't believe that everyone would be resurrected. And if everyone's not resurrected someday, then Christ is not resurrected. If he wasn't the first one, that's a real doctrinal problem for us. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. And I love how he starts verse 20. He says this, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The emphasis is mine here. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Now, the resurrection is the core of the Christian faith. The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 to 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from your sins. Saved from an eternity separated from God. Saved from eternal hell. If you believe and confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, he's been raised from the dead, you'll be saved. In other words, salvation is predicated on the confession of the lordship of a resurrected Christ. If you don't have the resurrection, you don't have salvation. And if there's no resurrection, if Christ was not raised... We're to be pitied of all men. We are without hope. We are still dead in our trespasses and sins. So people who deny the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, even though they may call themselves Christians, they are not. Why? Because without the resurrection, we don't have forgiveness of sin. We don't have Christ raised from the dead, and we don't have that blessed hope. Now, what we're going to deal with today is 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 4. And we're going to show you in in the latter two verses, 3 and 4, this simple gospel, this good news that is always good news for every generation throughout all history. And then the first two verses, we're going to kind of go backwards. We're going to cover the first two verses, and we're going to show you how you are to respond, how I am to respond to this good news, the gospel. So let's pick it up here. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to look at the first four verses. Paul said, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, 
you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Now, let's take a look at verses 3 and 4 right now, and I want to remind you of the simple gospel. And for some of you, maybe this is the first time you have heard what the gospel is. The the word gospel simply means good news. And this good news has come from God. It is the hope that we have in Jesus. And let me give you this matter of first importance. That's what he called it. For what I received, verse 3, I passed on to you as of first importance. There's nothing more important than this. Why? Because there's nothing more important than your eternal destiny. Jesus said it this way. What does it profit a man? He gains the whole world and loses his own soul. You could have all the notoriety, all the wealth, achieve all your goals, everything on your bucket list. But without Christ, you'll die and go to hell for eternity. Or you could have nothing else in this life but find Christ, believe in the gospel, and spend eternity with God. This is the matter of first importance. And here's the very simple gospel laid out. He lays it out for us here according to the scriptures. The first thing is this. Christ died for our sins. That's what we celebrated a couple days ago on Good Friday when we received communion together. Christ died for our sins. That's why the cross is the symbol of Christianity. Why? Because it was on the cross that Jesus Christ the innocent one, the Son of God, died for our sins. I've often used this illustration to show you what a wonderful Savior we have. And I've said it this way. You can tell a lot about a religion by its founder and by what the founder came carrying. So Judaism, for example, Moses, he came carrying the law. And so Judaism is all about following the Mosaic law the Torah. In Islam, Muhammad came carrying a sword. I actually looked at the Quran this week and found that it actually says idolaters must be killed. I've often called it said infidels, but actually if you see the text, it says idolaters must be killed. He came carrying a sword. But Christianity is different than all other religions of the world. Why? Because of what Jesus came carrying. He came carrying a cross. He literally gave his life so that we could find ours. Now, when we say sin, Christ died on the cross for our sins. What do we mean by sin? Many people think, I'm not a sinner. I'm a good person. I do good things for people. I help people. I'm kind. I'm a hard worker. I'm responsible. I take care of my family. I'm not a sinner. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, of God's standard. And and to sin simply means this. It means we miss God's standard of perfection in any action, in any feeling, in any thought, in any omission. We break God's commands. The Ten Commands are the big ones that help us to understand. Have Have we loved anything more than God? That's sin. 
Have we dishonored our parents? That's sin. Have we lusted in our heart? That's sin. Have we been jealous and coveted? That's sin. Have we told a little white lie? That's sin. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have all missed the mark. But the good news is this. Christ died for our sins. For my sins, for your sins, Christ suffered for your sins and mine on the cross. He took our place. He bore our sin in his own body on that tree. 1 Peter 3.18 says it this way. The apostle Peter says, For Christ also suffered once for sins. When he died on the cross, he died for all sin for all time. He suffered for you and for me and for all the sins of the world, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? To bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And that's what we're celebrating on Easter. Made alive. He died in the body in his own flesh. He died and he bore our sins. But thank God, he came to life. That's what the resurrection is all about. The second part of the gospel is this. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and he was buried. Why? Because that's what we do with dead people. We bury them. Whether we cremate them and they immediately go to ash or we bury them in a tomb somewhere and over hundreds of years they decompose into ash from ash to ashes to uh, dust to dust, ashes to ashes. You've heard that at a funeral. What happened? Christ was buried just like every other human being that has died throughout the world. You know, I had the privilege recently of going to Israel and I was in Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem... It's interesting, there's actually two locations where they think Jesus may have been buried. And one is at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And uh, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, I snapped a little picture of that uh, when I was in Jerusalem recently. It's kind of set up like a shrine. And there are these, supposedly this is where Jesus died, and there's these people from literally all over the world, every nation, every nationality you can think of, going to this shrine and kind of seeing where Jesus died. And they form these long lines and people are crying and remembering uh, the tomb of Jesus. And in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem, you'll also see a spot where they say that this is where Calvary was, where Golgotha was. And it's all a shrine, this big show. Now, perhaps that really is where he was buried, but I, I tend to think he was buried at the second place. Um, it's called the Garden Tomb just outside the walls of Jerusalem. And you can actually see, uh, they show you a picture when you're at the garden tomb of, of, that looks just like a skull. Golgotha means the place of the skull where Christ was crucified. And right near that, there is a tomb that they uncovered. And I have physically been inside this tomb that they think may have been Christ's tomb at the garden tomb. And I can assure you, the tomb is empty. Now, what's interesting about Jerusalem is this. The old city of Jerusalem... The walled city is divided into four quarters. There's the Christian quarter. There's the Armenian quarter. There's the Jewish quarter. And there is the Muslim quarter. And when I was at the garden tomb, I'm going to show you just a quick little video of it. Notice what you hear in the background. Go ahead and listen to this real quick and watch this. Here, we're in Jerusalem. God's city, the center of the world. And here at the tomb, the garden tomb, 
to believe Jesus rose from the dead here. And just the, uh, the unique city, we can hear Muslim prayers in the background while we're here at the tomb of Jesus. <laughs> it's crazy. We just had a beautiful time of communion and singing. The pastors were in a, a little separate meeting here at the garden tomb. You can see it's quite beautiful. God bless. So you can hear Muslim prayers while you're at the garden tomb. But can I tell you, Christ died for the sins of the whole world. Regardless of a person's nationality or religion, Christ died for the sins of the whole world. And here at the garden tomb, we see where Christ was buried. But guess what? He's not there any longer. You know, when we come to faith and put our faith in Christ... There is a type of burial that we have. We die to our old man, the old person we were in our sins. And the Bible says we come up in newness of life at baptism. And I have a question for you. If you have given your life to Jesus Christ, have you been baptized, water baptized, immersed? The word baptized means to immerse or plunge. Look what Romans 6, 4 says, Paul writing to the church at Rome, He said, we were therefore buried with him. How are we buried with Christ to our old way of living? Through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And when we come to faith in Christ and we receive this gift of salvation, we are to be baptized, buried with Christ. What is the gospel? Jesus died for our sins according to the scripture and he was buried and now the exciting part, Christ was raised to life. He's risen. That's what the Easter is all about. It's about the resurrection. Jesus is now alive, the scripture tells us, and as at the right hand of the Father and because Jesus lives, those who trust in him shall have a new life with him as well. Jesus said this in John's gospel, chapter twenty uh, eleven, chapter 11, rather, verse 25. He said this, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Do you have any loved ones that have died in faith in Christ? Yes, their body may be in the grave now, but to be absent from the body for the believers is to be present with the Lord. And one day there will be a marvelous resurrection where we will get our new glorified bodies and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And I have a question for you, and this question deserves your careful consideration. Here's my question. Do you think you will go to heaven? You say, well, I think so. Do you know that you'll go to heaven? Well, nobody really can know, you may say. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. And the most important question you can ask yourself and get an answer to because it has eternal significance is, will I go to heaven? Jack Welch was a former chairman and CEO of General Electric. I've heard of him Uh, for many, many years. He's a leadership guru and was extremely influential, extremely wealthy. 
And one time he was uh, being interviewed by Dan Rather, who used to be uh, the anchor for CBS News. And Dan Rather asked Jack this question. What was the toughest question you ever encountered? Without batting an eye, Jack Welch said this. Do you think you'll go to heaven? It wasn't some business principle. It wasn't some leadership strategy or some financial goal. It was, do you think you'll go to heaven? And I want to show you how he answered that. How would you answer that, by the way? How do you get to heaven? How do you get to heaven? Here's how he answered it. He said, it's a long answer. But if caring about people, if giving it your all, if being a great friend counts, and then he qualifies it, despite the fact I've been divorced a couple of times, and no one is proud of that, I haven't done everything right all the time. I think I've got a shot. I'm in no hurry to get there and to find out anytime soon. Can I tell you? For the most important question in life, that was not the right answer. Now listen, I hope that Jack found the Lord because he just died about a month ago. I hope he came to understand and hear the gospel. But that is not the right answer, friend, and you don't have to wonder. It's not based on your self-righteousness, on you caring about people and giving it your all. Now, I want to go back now to 1 Corinthians 15, the first two verses, and I want to look at what we must do to be saved and go to heaven. And there's four verbs in particular I'd like you to see here. The first is this one, hear. The second, receive. The third, stand. And the fourth, hold. Hear, receive, stand, hold. And you'll notice these in these first uh, two verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where Paul says this, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. So they had to hear the gospel, and he's reminding them of what he preached to them. Which you received, the second verb, and on which you have taken your stand. You're standing on it, third verb. By this gospel you are saved if, here we are, fourth verb, you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. What must I do to be saved and go to heaven? The first thing is we must hear the good news. God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save us, and we must hear the good news. He said, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. The good news. Faith in God comes by hearing and hearing by this good news, hearing by the word of God. And we have seen that Christ died for your sins, that he was buried, and that he rose from the dead. And what God wants you to do If you believe that, is to put your faith in Jesus, to turn from your sins, that's called repentance, and to call on his name and ask him to forgive your sins and be your Lord and Savior. And God said he is willing, not willing that any should perish. He wants all to come to repentance. He wants all to call on Jesus. He wants all to receive the gift of eternal life that is found in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He said, I want to remind you of this gospel I preach to you. Hear the good news. The second thing we must do is receive the good news. And how do you do that? You do it by faith. You believe in your heart. Do you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord? Do you believe that he died on the cross for your sins? Do you believe that he was buried? Do you believe that he rose from the dead? If you do believe that, then receive it. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Separation from God. 
But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a gift. It can't be earned. It can only be received. And when you hear the good news, there's only two responses. One is to receive it. Two is to reject it. Have you rejected the gospel or have by faith you received the gospel? That's a question you need to consider. All of us need to consider. But God does not want anyone to perish. He wants you to receive by faith this gift of salvation, of your sins being forgiven, and of eternal life that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we hear the gospel. And then faith rises in our heart and we receive the gospel. We take this gift of salvation by calling on the Lord and turning from our sins. And then we must take our stand. We must stand on the good news. And that's what he told the church, which you have taken your stand. We stand on Christ's righteousness. We stand on what Christ did for us on the cross. We don't take the self payment plan. What's the self-payment plan? That I've earned heaven because I'm a good person. Do you want the self-payment plan or do you want Christ's payment plan? Do you want to stand before a holy God someday based on your righteousness and you being a good person or stand before God based on Christ's righteousness and what he has done for us? I don't know about you, but I'm going to stand on what Christ has done for me and on his righteousness because I know me. I have sinned so many times. I've come short of God's glory. I want to show you uh, another response to someone asked, who they were asked, will you go to heaven when you die? And it's a, a woman named Sophia Loren. She is an Italian actress, and she's one of the last surviving stars from the golden age of Hollywood, a beautiful actress from Italy. And she was asked that same question that Jack was, and she said, will you go to heaven? And here's her response. She said, well, I'm not a practicant. In other words, I don't go to church much. You know, I don't practice my faith. Uh, but I pray. And I read the Bible. In fact, it's the most beautiful book ever written. I should go to heaven. Otherwise, it's not nice. I haven't done anything wrong. Really? My conscience is very clean. My soul is as white as those orchids over there. And I should go straight, straight to heaven. Can I tell you, this is a person who has taken her stand on her righteousness. My conscience is clean. I haven't done anything right. I'm as pure as those white orchids. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the heart of man is desperately wicked. Who could know it? The Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags. And we have all sinned, all of us including Sophia. She took her, right, her, her uh, stand rather on the self-payment plan. Don't do that. Salvation is based on Christ's merit, not our own. And it's a gift that God wants to give you. He wants to forgive your sins. He wants you to put your trust and your faith in Jesus. Ephesians 2 and verse 1 says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. A dead person does not have the ability to come back to life, with the exception of Jesus, of course. But we don't. When you go to a grave or when you go to a funeral and you see someone laying in a casket, you can say whatever you want. There's no response why they're dead. They, they have no ability to come back to life. They're dead. We're dead in our sins. 
But look at verses 4 and 5 of Ephesians 2. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. Do you know that about God? He is rich in mercy. He does not want to give you what you deserve. He wants to be merciful to you. He made us alive with Christ. That's how you come alive. That's how you're raised to life. It's with Christ. We die. Our, Christ, our life is hidden with Christ and God. He's made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our sins and our transgressions. It's by God's grace. It's by unmerited favor of God. It's his gift that you have been saved. Listen, going to heaven is not about bad people becoming good. It's about dead people becoming alive. We were dead in our sins, but by faith we come alive in Christ. And this is how Paul ends this section of how we are to respond to the gospel. He says we must hold firmly to the good news. You must hold to the gospel. You must take your stand on it, and you must not waver from it. Don't think that your good works and righteousness will get you to heaven. It's not based on you. It's based on what Christ has done. And God wants us to turn from our sin, to acknowledge it, to turn from it, and to put our faith and trust in Christ. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, hold to this gospel. It is your life. It is your lifeline. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. I want to close with this one scripture that is so marvelous. It's worth memorizing. It's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For it says, for if it is by grace, the undeserved favor of God, that we've been saved from our sins, that we go to heaven, that we have eternal life. And that grace that we're saved by comes through faith in Christ Jesus. Do you believe in your heart that Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he raised from the dead? If you do, if you believe that, then why not call on his name? This gift of salvation, this grace that comes through faith, it's not from you. It's not about your righteousness. It's the gift of God. It's not by works. No one can boast before him. It's what Christ has done for us. Christ has been raised from the dead, proving that he is who he said he was, the Son of God, the Savior of the world who has come to take away your sin and mine. The question is, what will you do with salvation? What will you do with Christ? What will you do with this gift that God wants to give you? Will you receive it or will you reject it? I want to invite you, wherever you are today, whatever time you're watching this on whatever screen, that if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, the Son of God, the sinless Savior who died on the cross for your sins, was buried and raised from the dead, if you believe that, then I want you to do what the Scripture says, to call on Him, to invite Christ into your life, to repent, to turn from your sins and invite Christ Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior. Would you pray with me right now? Wherever you are right now, just bow your head with me. There's nothing sacred in bowing your head. It's just a way to get rid of distractions. 
Why don't you do this right now? If you're calling on the Lord Jesus, just raise your hand wherever you are. You're on your cell phone, your iPad, your computer, watching on your television. Just lift your hands right now if you want to receive Jesus Christ. Nobody will see you unless there's someone in the room, but God sees you. We're going to respond right now to Jesus. Would you pray this with me? Dear God in heaven, I thank you for sending Jesus Christ, your son. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he was buried. And I believe he rose from the dead. And that he is Lord. Dear God, I acknowledge that I have sinned and broken your commandments. And therefore, I need a Savior. And I believe that Savior is Jesus Christ, your Son. Your word says, God, that if I were to confess Jesus as my Lord and believe in my heart that he was raised from the dead, I would be saved. And Lord Jesus, I'm calling on you right now asking for you to forgive my sins and for you to be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Friend, can I tell you that is the greatest thing you can do. The most important thing, the matter of first importance is that you receive the gift of eternal life which is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if you did that right now, I want to pray for you real quickly. I want to pray that God would take a hold of your life, put his spirit inside you, give you a hunger for the things of God. In the middle of this pandemic and crisis, you can have the greatest joy and the greatest peace in your life that you've ever had and it will never end. What a wonderful Savior we have. Let me pray for you, would you? Heavenly Father, thank you for these people that are watching wherever they are. There's no distance in prayer, Father. You see everything about them. You love them. You sent Jesus for them. He died for their sins. And Father, they've done what your word has said. Faith has risen in their heart. They've called on you, Lord Jesus. Father, I pray for their salvation. I pray you'd put your spirit in them. Give them such a hunger and a desire to know you. Give them, Lord, that peace that passes all understanding right now, wherever they are. And I ask it, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, the strong Son of God, our Lord and Savior. Amen.